this is Youth Radio, and I'm your host, Diana Barron-Moore. Hey, y'all, this is Fat Phil, and that's with a PH. We have a splendid show for you tonight. First, we have an interview with Peter Simonson of the American Civil Liberties Union, conducted by Luis Martinez. Then we have an interview with Rod Rodriguez, who is a youth coordinator for the Cesar Chavez celebration. Finally, a piece directly from Radio Rookies, and now our music host. Hi, I'm Luis Martinez. I'll be one of your music hosts this evening. This song is called As It Was in the Beginning by the Jedi Mind Tricks. And um, the other day, the other day I heard this crazy rumor that some people don't pay attention to lyrics when they listen to music. So if there are any of you wackos out there tonight, I don't know what to say to you people. conducted by Diana, concerning the Cesar Chavez Social Justice for Immigrants, March and Rally, which includes a song by Spell, a future performer at the event. Today we're speaking with Rodrigo Rodriguez, who this year served as a youth coordinator for the Cesar Chavez Social Justice for Immigrants, March and Rally, which took place yesterday. Welcome and thank you for coming in. Uh, thanks for having me. So, could you tell us a little bit about what your role as a youth coordinator is all about? Um, as the youth coordinator this year, my uh, my job this year was to go to some of the high schools. I went to Albuquerque High, I went to West Mesa, I went to uh, Nuestros Valores Charter School, and to not only educate the youth about who Cesar Chavez was, the work that he did, um, the legacy that he left for us, but to ask them to participate and to help out within their community as well as at their high schools. Um, to help get out the word, to actually show up to the event, and just to help us out in whatever way they could. And how did you get involved in this event? Um, my mom works at Chicano Hispano Mexicano Studies at uh, UNM, and for the past, I think it's six years now that they've done the event, they've co-sponsored the event. Um, she's been working there for about five years, so I've been helping out off and on for five years. I was There was a period where I was in Denver and I didn't help out, but I've been helping out for the past five years, and last year... I took an organizing position where I tried to organize kids again. Um, this year I took a youth coordinator position, which is I stepped into a bigger leadership role, and hopefully next year I can step up and uh, do something more as far as a leadership role. And for our listeners who maybe don't know about the achievements of Cesar Chavez, could you tell us about the legacy he left? What Cesar Chavez did was in the 1960s he helped organize the United Farm Workers Union and they're famous to have the red flag with the black uh, eagle on it. And what they did was in 1969, their major accomplishment was they boycotted the California Grape Growers Association. And it was one of the largest boycotts in history in the entire world. They boycotted California grapes on seven continents. And within a year, they got working, they got better living conditions, better working conditions, and higher wages for the immigrants. But what many people don't know is that our food everywhere in the United States is picked by Mexican immigrant, Mexican migrant workers who follow the seasonal crop rotations all over the country. And uh, what Cesar Chavez, is, what he wanted to do and what he did to a certain extent was um, to bring that to the forefront, that these people are humans and that they deserve to have basic human rights. 
And so his legacy was that, that he brought that to the forefront. But it's also he was for workers. He wasn't just for Mexican workers, which is a common misconception. He was for workers in general, for people who worked hard, for people who work hard now. And um, that's why we still celebrate him today. And that's why I appreciate what he did and I appreciate this movement is because it is for everybody. Everybody knows somebody who works hard. And that's what his goal was, is to bring that to a forefront, that these people deserve to have rights too. Could you talk about the significance of Cesar Chavez's life and his achievements for New Mexicans in particular? Cesar Chavez was in California um, when he organized the boycott against grapes, and um, he worked primarily in California. But we do have a huge agricultural community here in, in New Mexico with um, the chilies and the pecans and the pistachios and uh, everything down south. And we do have Mexican migrant workers who come to New Mexico to work. And I'm not real clear on the details as far as his impact here. But as far as now, there are still those workers there. And they still do have a lot of the problems that he was working to fight for. And our event this year, like you said, is social justice for immigrants. And it's uh, down with xenophobia, the whole anti-immigration thing. And, uh, you know, in Los Angeles this past weekend, there was that huge march, 500,000 people in the streets of L.A., marching for immigrant rights and basically what you know with the whole Minutemen situation down on the border and the ACLU and everything else that's going on right now is we wanted to kind of bring that to the forefront with this event that we do every year that's why we wanted to do it on a major scale this year and that's why we did do it on a major scale with the city of Albuquerque and at Civic Plaza and I, I really think that Cesar Chavez would have, would have appreciated what we're trying to do. It's so great that you are like getting this out there really fabulous so I know that you had said that you were sort of organizing um, entertainment and performers. Um, could you tell us about what you have been doing with that? Yeah, um, that was another aspect of what I did this year was um, our director this year, and he's been involved and he's been the director several times, is uh, Eduardo Hernandez Chavez and his wife Isaura Bernal Enriquez. They spearheaded this event and they continue to. And... They're trying to go back to California, and so by next year they should be in California, and there's not going to be anybody to help organize, and so that's why we all got together and said, well, let's let's form a large committee so that next year we can do it. And I was on the entertainment board on the actual committee where I brought in, we, have, we had the Mariachi group from Albuquerque High, Mariachi San Jose from San Jose Elementary School, we had the Ballet Folklorico Dancers from Albuquerque High, um, my buddy Paz, he, uh, he performed... We had Jeremy Giannini, the Calm Spell. He's a local rapper. He, uh, you know, he got down on the mic. We had a couple of slam poets. And what I wanted to do this year was to try to bring in the youth, so that when actually people go to the event, they saw, well, look, these kids are involved. They're helping out. They, they're here. Why don't we show up next year, support them, see if we, what we could do next year to, you know, get this event on a larger scale. And so that's kind of was my main goal is to bring in young people, and uh, hopefully it works out for next year. So thank you so much for coming down today. Um, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate the chance to, uh, you know, to help get my message out there, and the message of the committee and the message of the, the whole community at large. So is there anything you'd like to add? Um, I just want to say thanks to everybody who was involved this year, um, mainly in Eduardo Nisaura, uh, my mom, Lucille Cordova, Chuy Martinez from the city of Albuquerque, Bonnie Rukovo from the city of Albuquerque, um, uh, Esteban Munoz, he, he's a friend of mine. He's uh, the co-youth coordinator this year. I also wanted to thank everybody who showed up to the event, for the people that marched from uh, Martinez Town, Santa Barbara Park, and everybody who showed up at the event. 
I want to thank all the artists, especially for showing up and uh, donating their time. None of these people got paid. All the speakers, everybody who was there, anybody who wants to help next year. So thanks again for coming down and for also being involved in this. I, I think it's really great that this is happening in the community. And Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, thanks again for having me. I really appreciate the time to get my message out there. And, um, you know, for anybody who's willing to help, uh, you know, there should be some flyers circulating around. Just get in contact with us and we'll let you know how you can help out next year. This is Diana Barron-Moore for Youth Radio on KUNM. Yo, I heard Walmart's trying to open up a co-op. Come on, Walmart selling organic food, please. Yo, uh, everybody should shop at Walmart so we could keep giving them all our money and make them a world power. Yeah, they're always rolling back prices. Roll this. Welcome to this wally world of Walmart buyers And good for nothing slave driver suppliers Got the whole world in its clutch like some pliers Teaming up with America to find corporate buyers Once again, I really want to thank Rod for coming into this studio and also for your dedication to your work, which has such a positive effect on the community. Now back to our music hosts. Hey, y'all, this is one of your music hosts, Shatane Tuck, for this Sunday. We're going a little gospel for you guys, and our song will be We Have Not Forgotten by Reuben Stutters. We have not forgotten all you've done Counting every blessing one by one, yeah Your love did not condemn Instead, you said your only son Keeping us from danger every day So we take this time to give you praise We lift our eyes to you This next band, The Books, takes found sound, weird vocal samples, and post-electronic sensibilities, strings them all together in a mighty tasty string of deliciousness. This song is titled Venice by The Books. Maestro, as you paint this picture, would you tell me what, what's going on in your mind? Now, the cross, the mystical, vertical cross. Out of black paint, a cross that comes down from the top left-hand side of the canvas. He has just thrown a bunch of gold paint, which has not only hit me in the face, but has gone across the canvas to the applause of the crowd below. Now we're going real old school for y'all, and this is called If You Really Want It. Our next segment, produced by Mark Delegato, is from Radio Rookies, a youth radio project in New York. Every day around 2.30, my sister Candy is dropped off in front of our house after school. You hear the bus? Now she's getting, she just got off the lift. She's rolling off. I can't. Like many 13-year-olds, she takes the school bus, but Candy is not your typical 13-year-old. 
See, Candy has trisomy 13. Trisomy 13 is easy to understand. It's a mild to severe form of mental retardation, somewhat like Down syndrome. Most people have two copies of the 13th chromosome, but Candy has three. The doctors call it a chromosomal abnormality that unbalances her bodily functions. She cannot walk or talk. Candy has the body of a 13-year-old, but the mind capacity of a 2-year-old. Since she can't talk, my mom and I have to figure out what she wants by listening to the sound she makes and interpreting her gestures. If she sees you when you come in, say from school, she'll reach for you and um, grab your head. You know, that means, hi, I love you, how are you? I haven't seen you, what you doing? That's what all of that means. When you play music, um, as you can see she lays in her bed or sit in the chair and she smiles. This is the song I wrote for my sister. Because she always listens to me play music, and uh, so she, I, I can see that she comprehends because you know she'll sit there, she'll be quiet sometimes. You can tell that she's actually listening to what you're playing. So sometimes you think that she knows. Trisomy 13 is hereditary and usually skips a generation. No one else in my immediate family has had it, but mom says my great uncle on my father's side also had trisomy 13. In Puerto Rico, he died at seven years old. Uh, he never walked or talked just like Candace. No one ever knew about it until, or no one ever spoke about it until Candace was born. Most people with trisomy 13 don't even live that long. 98% do not live beyond two. 2% do live beyond two. So the chances were very low that Candace would live beyond two years old. Um, that really was heartbreaking. Although my mother is happy now, 13 years ago when Candy was born, she was scared. I was, you know, depressed a little that my little girl was um, not healthy, not normal. And that was even before I understood the extent of the disorder. Uh, most of the children with trisomy 13 die of a major organ failure, the heart, the lungs, the kidneys. Um, uh, so anytime there's sickness, the concern is, well, you know, is this going to be the organ that fails? Is this going to be um, the thing that takes her away from you? You just don't know. Candy has survived 11 years longer than the experts expected. But from the very beginning, mom made it clear that she wanted her daughter to live. Uh, we did have one very callous doctor say 
well, did we really want to perform the surgery? Or if we wanted to let nature take its course? In essence, he offered to allow Candace to die. And I was so stunned and, and angry. I, I, I just, I was just torn apart. Okay, sweetie. I don't take my sister for granted. I could have been born that way myself. So I help out every way that I can. Mom feeds her and changes the diapers, but I do most of the lifting because mom has tendonitis in her wrist. I've learned a lot about love and commitment from mom. This poem that she wrote for Candy says it all. My baby girl wears pretty dresses and a soft bow, yet to play hopscotch and jump rope, her feet will never know. My baby girl's room is full of toys, yet the fun to her they won't bring as to other little girls and boys. Dresses just sit and toys just lay because my baby girl's mind can't learn to play. For WNYC and the Harlem Radio and Photography Project, I'm Mark Delgado III. To contact Radio Rookies, you can email them at radiorookies at wnyc.org. And now more music. Off of their debut album, Three Imaginary Boys, released in 1979, The Cure present a much rawer, jumpier, and jangly punk sound than you may be used to in this song titled Grinding Halt. The next song is by Anthony Hampton called Found a Letter That She Wrote. This morning found a letter that she wrote. She said she... Last Friday, Peter Simonson of the American Civil Liberties Union sat down with Youth Radio's own Luis Martinez for an interview about the organization. Peter Simonson is the executive director of the ACLU of New Mexico, a local affiliate of the national organization, and has worked on many important pieces of legislation, such as the recent high-profile state youth detention facility decision. Here we are today with Peter Simonson, Executive Director of the ACLU of New Mexico. Uh, thanks a lot for coming into the studio to, for this interview. Oh, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure. Uh, so can you start by briefly describing the mission of the ACLU and its impact on American politics today? 
Sure. Um, well, of course, the ACLU was founded uh, in 1920 at, at the national level. It's an organization that's been around for a long, long time. Uh, its mission at the national level and also here in the state is to protect and advance the rights that we have under the Bill of Rights of the U.S. Constitution and in the case of New Mexico, also our New Mexico Constitution. What that means is that we find ourselves um, uh, trying to ensure that government, government officials, government agencies don't violate people's rights because that's what the Constitution and the Bill of Rights does is it protects us against abuse from the government, um, which is sometimes confusing to people because they assume that it also gives them rights against private commercial enterprises, private companies or private individuals. And unfortunately, that's not the case under the Bill of Rights. Um, there are some rights under other federal and state statutes that are that are um, trumped by the uh, by the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Uh, so we find ourselves mostly defending people from rights abuse by the government. Um, this organization has uh, here in New Mexico, a little over 6,000 members, and that membership has grown, has almost tripled, in fact, uh, since before September 11th, um, probably in part because people are so concerned about the current state of affairs around civil liberties. The ACLU, in terms of its impact politically, um, over the last uh, five years, I would say, the ACLU really has become one of the premier organizations that's defending civil liberties in the country. Um, you know, just about every major civil liberties issue that's out there that people are familiar with at the, at the national level, whether it be the president's illegal authorization of spying on American citizens, whether it be the USA Patriot Act, um, or whether it's torture in Guantanamo and Afghanistan, all of those issues um, that you're hearing about today in the, in the papers and on the radio and in the TV um, are battles that the ACLU is engaged in and probably has brought to the forefront. Okay, so you mentioned that you're the di executive director of the ACLU of New Mexico, which is an affiliate of the national organization. So can you explain to us some of the uh, issues that the ACLU of New Mexico is currently working on? Absolutely. Um, you know, we work on a broad variety of issues. We are the largest civil liberties organization in the state. Um, we, we have a staff of, of five people, uh, one of whom is a staff attorney, but we also work with a collection of about 20 to 30 volunteer attorneys. Um, and we litigate, uh, m most of our work uh, to defend civil rights is based on litigation that is in the courts, filing lawsuits or, fi or sending letters to civil rights abusers demanding that they stop. Um, everywhere from uh, racial justice to freedom of speech to uh, uh, problems in our correctional facilities and in, in juvenile uh, detention centers and the jails and the prisons. Um, to working on immigrants' rights issues. Um, we, it's, we run the gamut. We're, we're not a, a sort of a single-issue organization. Um, we're very broad, reproductive rights as well. Recently, we just settled a major class action lawsuit against um, 
the uh, Children, Youth, and Families Department here, which is a state office, and they run all of the juvenile justice system, including the juvenile justice, the juvenile detention centers. And it is one, it's a historic settlement agreement. It is going to um, require sweeping changes in the kinds of services, behavioral health and substance abuse services that are provided to youth in those facilities. Um, You know, people always have problems. Well, many people have problems um, being concerned about the civil rights of people who are in jail or who are in juvenile detention facilities. And but we have to recall that, you know, many of these people are in on, on nonviolent crimes for simple possession of, of drugs or something that's related to that. Maybe they've pled to a case that, um, you know, they, they were up for serious charges and yet they were actually jailed for something that was very, very minor. Um, and it's important that those people have a chance to rehabilitate themselves, that they get a chance to reintegrate with society. And they can't do that if they are simply thrown into um, juvenile lockups, juvenile warehouses, basically, that um, are simply training grounds for hardened long-term criminals. You know, we want people not to go down that road. And it's the obligation of the state to make sure that they have a chance to become constructive citizens. And so... Um, we think that this settlement agreement with um, with CYFD will will accomplish that. Um, I'd be happy to talk about a lot of the cases that we have that I think affect youth and particularly students um, in our local schools. That's probably one of the most active areas of civil rights that we have is defending students' rights and, and making sure that... Um, you know, in this day and age when uh, some school administrators are prepared to sacrifice a student's education for the sake of disciplining them and disciplining them harshly, um, you know, we always try to intervene to make sure that their educational interests are, are um, upheld and that um, their rights aren't abused. So I'd be happy to talk about those things, too. Can you tell us first a little bit about how the ACLU of New Mexico uh, pinpoints civil liberties issues within the community and finds out which are the most important Sure. Um, every morning I wake up and I look at the newspaper and I read what my uh, my my do- my jobs are going to be for the day because oftentimes we see civil rights abuses um, come right up in the papers, uh, reported in the papers before we get contacted about them by those individuals who who've suffered the abuse. So the newspapers are oftentimes a great um, uh, you know source of of uh, information about civil rights problems, but we also receive both uh, phone and written complaints. We ask that people submit written complaints to us because we have to circulate them among the attorneys that work with the organization or that volunteer for the organization. Uh, And every month we get between 50 and 80 uh, written complaints that we review in the office. And then, you know, just a mere fraction of those cases actually are ones that we wind up taking, sometimes due to lack of resources, but more often because they don't really have civil liberties problems inherent in them. Um, Oftentimes people write in about other sorts of problems that they're experiencing that really aren't of a civil rights nature. They oftentimes write about private employers that they feel unfairly fired them or are unfairly treating them. 
And um, normally we can't take those cases because, again, the, the Bill of Rights really focuses on government abuse, not abuse by private employers or, or private companies and things. So um, we do, in a few rare instances, take on those sorts of cases. In fact, we now have a case against the New Mexico Scorpions ice hockey team on behalf of a group of five women, uh, four women, I believe it is, uh, who, who uh, were subject to um, sexual harassment and sexual discrimination. And so um, those are those issues do come along. But um, so that's really how we how we identify the cases that that we take right now. We have about 30 cases that we're working on. um, And uh, some of those are in the litigation phase and other of those we're investigating. And in other cases, we're sending letters demanding some change in behavior from a government entity uh, and waiting to see how they respond. And if they don't respond, then those will probably go to litigation. Okay, so um, can you uh, explain to us some of the current cases that are directly related. Uh, that are. Uh, I should probably do that line over. Can you explain to us some of the current cases that are directly related to youth? that the ACLU is involved with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, This is an area that I'm particularly very committed to, very interested in. Um, I mentioned already, of course, the CYFD settlement that we we just achieved, um, which is going to affect about 500 um, young kids around the state um, and is is actually resulted in the closing down of Springer Boys School, which by uh, by all accounts, um, around the state was widely held as a, uh, in quotes, a hellhole, uh, and that place needed to be shut down. And, and now those kids will be placed into facilities that, uh, are much more, um, much more forgiving, much safer, and also provide adequate services. We recently res- settled a lawsuit against the Albuquerque public school system that requires the schools to notify students and parents that they have the right to um, withhold their contact information, the contact information of the students from military recruiters. Under the No Child Left Behind Act, a federal law uh, that was passed uh, a few years back, um, schools are now required to give military recruiters lists of students' names and their contact information if it's requested. And, and yet in that same law, parents and students are given the right to request that that information not be released. Um, and moreover, that schools have to notify those families of that right. And uh, Albuquerque Public Schools, unfortunately, was, um, if they were notifying uh, families, it, it typically was months after the information had already been shared with military recruiters, which is kind of ironic. Obviously, you can't exercise a right uh, retroactively. So we filed a lawsuit, and ultimately the Albuquerque Public Schools agreed to change their policy, and now they do have a policy where that information must go out in registration packets, um, and they have to maintain records uh, that that uh, designate which, which families have requested the opt-out. Um, in, recent, in recent times, we've had... Uh, settlements, for example, against the uh, Rio Rancho High School um, when they uh, suspended, actually, I think they expelled, they expelled a student named Carol Williams for simply carrying into school um, a keychain that had a little penknife on it, the, the penknife that was about an inch long. And under their zero tolerance policies, um, they didn't give her a chance to contest the decision to toss her out of school. They were prepared to basically sacrifice her entire semester because she simply had walked into school with a little with a little um, 
trinket on her on her keychain that her father had given her. It was actually a trinket that her that her uh, father's business uses as a kind of a promotional thing. And uh, she didn't even realize it was in her backpack. And um, and yet, uh, she her backpack was searched by one of the school administrators, and they kicked her out of school. And we challenged that. We challenged the notion that she would know that that's actually a. And they were claiming it was a dangerous weapon, um, uh, a deadly weapon. In fact, is what is form is technically what they called it. And we objected to that and took that case to court. It went to trial, and ultimately, um, but ultimately it was settled. And um, um, we got her record wiped clean. We got her into back into classes, so she wasn't expelled and didn't lose that semester. Um, there's a practice around the around the state, and in fact, in many states where um, schools uh, go into lockdown and the school classroom doors are closed. Uh, it's announced over the intercom, and while the kids are in lockdown in their classes. Uh, drug-detecting dogs are brought in and are ushered through the aisles of a classroom, randomly sniffing kids for anything that might turn up, any sort of illicit substances, any sort of drugs in their backpacks or, or you know, on their person. And that's illegal um, under the Fourth Amendment, which protects your, uh, protects your right against unwarranted searches and seizures of your property. Um, you have protection against that sort of intrusive, uh, random uh, uh, search of your person. And so we challenged that practice down in the Lordsburg School District, and Lordsburg immediately settled with us and agreed not to use drug-detecting dogs at all. And we, we think that precedent should hold for the rest of the state. Um, we haven't heard recently of other school districts. Uh, it hasn't been reported to us that they're doing that, but we suspect that there are some out there. And when we find out where those districts are, then we will go to those school districts and um, ask that they stop that. Uh, kids, you know, kids shouldn't be terrorized by drug detecting dogs um, going up and down their their aisles unless, you know, the, unless the school has some specific reason to believe that a specific kid has drugs for for you know for specific reasons, uh, uh, illegal drugs that is. But if they don't have those specific facts. Under the law, under the Bill of Rights, the school can't search that that person. So that's sort of a, a broad array of things that we've done in the area of youth's rights. Okay, well, I think we're um, kind of just about running out of time for this interview. But maybe before we go, you could uh, give our listeners a little bit of information um, about how to contact the ACLU? Yeah, absolutely. Let me just mention that we have a very active youth advisory board here in Albuquerque, which consists of um, uh, kids in the high schools from various different high schools that have last last year had a very successful mock trial that they hosted uh, and are very active here locally. Um, so if people are interested in getting involved in that or just want more information, um, they can contact our office at 266-5915. Um, they can also go to our website, which is at uh, aclu-nm.org. Okay, thanks a lot. And once again, that, that was Peter Simonson, the executive director of the ACLU of New Mexico. Thanks a lot for coming into the oh, studio. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much. Welcome to tonight's weekly youth radio calendar. I'm your host for tonight, Jaron Kai. Let's get it started. Medieval Innovations, How the Middle Ages Changed Western Culture, a series of free lectures Monday through Thursday at UNM's Woodward Hall, Room 101.
For a complete list, visit www.unm.edu or call 277-2252. Roy Lichtenstein, American Indian Encounters. A selection of Lichtenstein's art that drew inspiration from Native American symbols, motifs, and forms will be presented with examples of Native American art. This exhibit will underscore the ongoing dialogue between Native American artists and non-Natives at the Museum of Fine Arts located in Santa Fe at 107 West Palace Avenue. This exhibit is running through April 23rd. Site Santa Fe. Semantics. The Words of Art. Art Exhibit of Work by Young Artist. This exhibit runs through April 16th from 5 to 7 p.m. For more information, call 505-989-1199. And then, it started like a guilty thing, upon a fearful summons. That was a quote from the William Shakespeare play Hamlet. If you don't want to sit through an original production of this play, check out Gorilla Tango's retelling of this tale titled Hamlet the Vampire Slayer at the Gorilla Tango Theater in Albuquerque. This production runs through April 8th and is rated PG-13. Call 245-8600 for more information. Some music events in Albuquerque include At the Blue Dragon Coffee House, Monday, April 3rd, Monday Night Live hosted by Trout from 8 to 10 p.m. This is a free all-ages event. As well at the Blue Dragon Coffee House, Tuesday, April 4th, Mystery School from 8 to 10 p.m. Another free all-ages event. The Blue Dragon Coffee House is located at Indian School and Girard. At the launch pad, Tuesday, April 4th, Haste the Day, Minus 7, Sincerely, Last 15, and The Bayonet at 7 p.m. An all-ages event. For more information, visit www.launchpadrocks.com. At Irish Max Coffee House on Wednesday, April 5th, the Acoustic Jam Session from 8 to 10 p.m., a free all-ages event. Irish Max Coffee House is located at 110 Yale Boulevard Southeast, and for more information, call 505-265-5597. Now some music events in Santa Fe at Warehouse 21. April 3rd, The Independence, Knife the Hero, Dear Oceana, and Avowed Enemy. This is a free event. April 8th, Manias, Victimas, Echoes of Fallen, Torn Between Worlds, and Demogorgon. April 15th, Grounded, Upon Awakening, and The Corridors. Warehouse 21 is located at 1614 Pasea da Poeta, and for more information on these events and upcoming events at Warehouse 21, visit their website at www.warehouse21.org. That was your calendar for this week, and I am your calendar host for this week. The one and only calendar host for this week, Jaren Kai. Now back to our hosts. Luis Martinez conducted the interview with Peter Simonson, the executive director of the New Mexico chapter of the ACLU. The interview with Rodrigo Rodriguez was facilitated by Diana Barrenmore. Special thanks to Radio Rookies and Mark Delgado for use of their segment. Our calendar host tonight was the one and only Jaren Kai. Our music hosts tonight were Luis Martinez and Chatney Tuck. We thank our hardworking and dedicated adult co-inspirators, Roberta Rael, Marcos Martinez, 
Danielle Cantrell, Steve Emmons, and Otiamba Umi. Special thanks for engineering the show tonight. I'm Diana. And I'm Fat Phil with a PH. Up next is Spoken Word. Good night. Good night. <laughs>